This is the Radical RMT Podcast, where I talk to radical massage therapists, chat about the unique lifestyle we have in this profession, and cover topics we care about beyond the massage table. My name is Krista Dix. I'm a registered massage therapist with over a decade of experience. If you want an inspiring career that leads to an incredible life, stay tuned. We have Scott Grisewood back with us with on the Radical RMT podcast for part two. I am very I am excited that you wanted to do a part two just because we didn't get to cover everything in the first episode. How are you doing today, Scott? Good, thank you. How are you today? I'm doing well. Nice uh, early start for me there. A couple glitches on the on the audio, so I appreciate your patience. Um, yeah, no worries. So just before we started uh, recording, um, you know, you were asking how the response to the first episode went, and um, I re- said I really enjoyed actually re-listening to it um, and learning about the technologies and and w- how I could potentially um, refer out for them uh, for my clients, and and how I I also just saw it as a, a reassurance of the technology being an asset to our practice or to collaborate with other professionals that the technology is not the enemy and it doesn't like it doesn't take away from our hands-on skills it it can only enhance what we can do with our with the the uh, the treatment process uh, because it's going to show more accurate information for assessment what um what's been your response to the technology well, I've certainly embraced it as well as my my patients that I see and the athletes that I that I work with. Um, it helps give give direction to the treatment itself. Um, it's certainly not going to be for for every RMT by any stretch. Um, I don't I don't have issues with uh, with taking time to do assessment. I know a lot of uh, practitioners uh, comment about how um, some patients dislike the fact that you're taking time to do assessments. It's taking away from their treatment time or their massage time. But right. I, I don't run into that. Um, I find that, that people engage with the technology. They want to see objective uh, progress or, or assessment. And uh, ultimately, that's that's exactly what the insurance companies are are looking for like green shield has come right out and said that we're looking for measured outcomes so unless we start measuring we're not going to have measured outcomes right right so you know and the other thing is that it helps to keep my professional biases at bay because what i think and what the data tells me can be two completely different things yeah and so you know, I count on that to to make sure that you know my biases are not getting in the way, that it's just straight up assessment and and uh, you know as long as you're doing the the testing correctly, the data doesn't lie. If you're if you're not uh, doing your testing correctly correctly, then you're not going to produce good data. But um, as long as you're uh, producing um, data the way that it's supposed to be generated example you know surface emg it's more of a difficult one to deal with because of the electrode placement so if we're testing glutes one day we need to know that we're putting that electrode in the exact same spot the follow-up time Mm. so in some cases i have to use like a a permanent marker make a couple dots on the skin um and have them come in within a few days or for example to to, to take up the follow test and put the electrodes on the same spot. So that's also an issue with, uh, I think we talked about wearable technologies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so for example, shorts that may have a sensor on the glutes and the hamstrings is that, is it in the exact same spot the second time you take in your testing? So as long as you're paying attention to controls like that, um, your data uh, is good as long as your equipment is accurate, which in my case, I do a lot of research about the accuracy of the equipment before I purchase it. Right. And uh, all that being said, it's uh, it's straight sailing as far as uh, assessment time and and allowing the the data 
to um, dictate the type of treatment, for example, or the effectiveness of the of the intervention that I've chosen. Okay. Um, I don't think we did discuss wearable technologies in the previous um, chat. Is that is there something that you want to add about that? Yeah, sure. Just that uh, the the rise of wearable technologies is getting bigger and bigger and bigger as far as the um, consumers purchasing wearable technologies. And it's it's funny because we're we're in an era where technologies like like these are are skipping our our teaching institutions and going straight to end user. Right. So it is it's come the technology is coming advancing so fast and so quickly you know we we have uh our teaching institutions that simply haven't kept up with current technology and um we are seeing and and what's going to happen i believe firmly in the future is people are going to be walking into your clinic and pulling out their their cell phone and saying <clears throat> Hey, have a look at this. Uh, can you uh, tell me what you think of these readings from my my glutes and hamstrings? Because I, right. I bought these, you know, great pair of shorts that that have uh, EMG sensors in them, and we're going to be left with you know scratching our heads if we don't understand what's going on out there from a technology standpoint, and and uh, and have a basic understanding of of what equipment is accurate what equipment is not accurate. So like I'd mentioned, I, I, I take with a grain of salt the data that comes off the wearable technologies just because of the electrode placement and uh, the moving mm-hmm. of electrode placements while you're doing dynamic testing. So it'd be like uh, a Fitbit watch with the accuracy of, of heart rate, for example. So if, if the watch is not secured to the skin all the time and not moving around, if we can assure that, then okay, that data to me would be more valuable. But you know, when a watch is moving around and, and the contact to the skin is compromised from time to time, then the data coming off, off of that is, in my opinion, not trustworthy. Right. So things like that to understand because uh, you know, technology can can look really flashy. So, for example, right now the big thing is 3D underfoot mapping. Well, great, you've got a laser that 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 scans a, a dysfunctional foot in in a static position, which the foot does not remain in a static position, mm-hmm. and they're using this you know fancy technology to to wow the, the users of it, but really the data coming off it, what what are we doing with it and how accurate is it? So for me to take a, um, a static uh, impression of... Sorry, we just lost you there for a second on Skype. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, so you were saying about the, the 3D underfoot mapping being that it's, it's a static measurement, but um, the foot doesn't stay static. So how accurate is the data? Yeah, so it's it's those types of things that that can, uh, you know, um, boggle minds or impress people. But it's it's what can we do with this information? Assuming that it's accurate, then what can we do with it? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, right now that's a, a popular piece of technology that's you know driving the the sales of custom orthotics through the roof. Right. Like to the to the tune of I believe uh, projected as close to $4 billion worldwide with underfoot mapping and the production of custom orthotics. Wow. So that's a pretty significant piece of technology. And like I say, it, uh, the foot is a, a dynamic um, body part. And to test it in a, in a neutral position, a static position, and determine what intervention that it needs is, to me, um, not accurate. It doesn't represent what the foot does. Right. 
And this is technology that, that you're saying the consumer has ac- access to right away. They don't even have to go to a, a, a practitioner or, or somebody licensed to, you know, to sell these ma- materials um, to the consumer. They're able to just purchase them off the shelf. Yeah, or online. I mean, there's there's three or four, three three or four pavilions worth of technology down in Vegas at the uh, at the technology show. Everything Mm -hmm. from you know wearable wrist devices to uh, wearable garments. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, like I said, you know, it's not going to be too long from now that people are going to be coming in and showing the the practitioner data that that they have on their iPhone that they collected off their uh, wearable shorts, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we should have an understanding of that because, um, you know, we're going to look kind of silly if we don't know anything about it. If we've never seen an EMG tracing before, or if we don't understand that the readings from these particular devices may not be accurate, right? you can't make the assumption that it is. Right. So that's why I like certain pieces of equipment that we're not going to run into those types of uh, of inaccuracies. Um, now, because I, I do I do understand that it sh- it should be important for us to understand what that what it looks like um, and uh, and how how to potentially explain the data back to clients. But um, how how would you um, feel that we should best go about? Like it's good. It's there's a lot coming out all the time, as you just described there with the convention in Vegas. So, what's the best way for us to stay up to date on on the technologies and and learn without being overwhelmed and taking away from other, our other skills as well? Well, I think I think the same would apply in this scenario as it would with being an evidence based practitioner. You you spend time every day or every week doing a certain amount of, of research and reading mm-hmm. and, and staying, staying up with the, the technologies and reading the reviews about said technologies. Um, I mean, ideally, I think the teaching institution should have uh, a technology component to their, to their courses. But, you know, we also need to, in my in uh, revise the whole curriculum based on current evidence as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of pseudoscience being um, taught in our teaching institutions. And, um, you know, we also need that as well. So at this point in time, it's, it's not available in our teaching institutions. Um, so we have to, you know, do our own due diligence and, you know, just being aware that those things are out there. You know, maybe this podcast may, you know, bring to light uh, people's awareness that, you know, maybe it is something that I should look into and, and maybe not so much from the standpoint of purchasing it, but understanding mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, technology is coming whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And the new generation is embracing it wholeheartedly. Right. And, you know, we should have a basic understanding about it. Right. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, from a business perspective, I also feel like, or even just education, I feel like it's a good opportunity for those um, manufacturers and representatives to come into the teaching institutions to approach the the teaching institutions and say, hey, I've got this um, piece of technology um, that I, you know, that potentially uh, massage clients would, would come to your practitioners with, um, can I educate them on, on how it's working and just come right into the, the classroom and, and, uh, sort of be a bit more proactive, um, with that. So, I mean, gosh, like it's been a while since I've been in school, but I, I remember like a TENS representative coming in just to show us how it, you know, how it operated essentially. Right. And that that technology yeah. was available for the consumer to, to rent or, you know, if they needed it kind of thing. So um, that might be a good opportunity as well to, to educate um, the practitioner or the, the potential practitioners of a massage. Yeah, I, um, I I agree with you, um, and I've personally made attempts at different colleges to to come in and introduce technology, just mm-hmm. um, out of sheer interest of of spreading the information throughout the profession. Um, oh yeah, n- I not think as it would a be rep- fascinating. 
Yeah, but not as a representative of of the uh, the companies themselves. Um, right. But I have run into a fair amount of resistance with that, to be honest with you. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah, I think, you know, like we talked about, that it almost seems um, impersonal, you know, these, you know, hooking technology up where massage therapy has been a very personal thing because of the um, intimate touch that Mm -hmm. that we're performing. It's almost, uh, you know, a stark contrast between, you know, something that has been around for thousands of years, one human, you know, touching another human for, you know, a healing purpose or therapeutic purpose. And then, uh, you know, technology seems a little um, impersonal in that regard. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it, uh, it, it brings to the table a lot of benefits. And from my standpoint, the more information I know about my patient's nervous system, uh, the better off I feel. Right. And I, mean, I also yeah. think, like you said, that the, the patient really wants to be involved in, in their care um, these days. I think they do want to understand what's going on um, just for their own uh, comfort and, and knowledge. I think that's great. Right. Yeah, and I, I also hear a lot of you know, frustration with, with people coming in that, you know, I went to this person and, you know, they told me this, told me that, and I, and I went for a number of months and nothing really happened and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and I think they feel disempowered by the fact that, you know, they, they just plain have to believe the person and trust mm-hmm. in the person blindly that, that there may be some therapeutic value to their approach. And with this one, it, it's, uh, you know, it's based on objective information. So right. it's, you know, they can see, see for themselves with, with the testing and they can see whether or not my, my choice of interventions is, is taking them where they need to go. Right. So it, uh, it, it keeps, it, you know, keeps me honest is, you know, like I can't guarantee a hundred percent that my intervention is going to be beneficial for this chronic ankle sprain, for example, but mm-hmm. I can show you data that is objective and it's accurate and we can see what we're going in the right direction so that you don't just have to take my word for it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so where would you like to pick up from where we left off last time? Okay. So I think I, I I spoke about a few different pieces of, uh, of equipment. We, we spoke about the, um, surface, EMG that takes uh, uh, tracings from the muscles and it shows me the, the a trace drawing of the contraction, the, the shape of the contraction and how many microvolts are going through it. We talked about how we can use that um, to use for lifetime neuromuscular feedback training. So, for example, if we have if we have somebody squatting and they're not actively using their their glutes we can put the sensors on and see exactly how much they're using their glutes and we can teach them while the sensors are on how to how to activate that muscle um, effectively so mm-hmm. when you when I take them through a series of glute contractions you can see on the screen right in front of you the the amplitude of your contraction so you learn to I call it ring the bell because you can see the line line go up towards the top of the screen. So you learn how to to uh, to activate the musculature. And sometimes it's just a matter of uh, we don't have a great uh, mind muscle connection, if you will, and we have to learn how to do it. Um, just like you know, can you separate your your uh, your your fingers like Spock? Nope. No, well, no. It it takes time to learn how to do that, right? Right. And we don't we don't have or the people that can roll their tongue, um, mm-hmm. in that funny way. Uh, we have to learn that mind muscle connection in order to produce those movements. And right. sometimes we just plain don't know how to do it, and that's where that technology can come and help out. So we take them through a series of contractions, and you can live time, and then we'll 
go down and we'll reproduce the squat again and see are we getting more activation out of that out of that glute so that's the surface emg we talked about the the optigate system that measures the quality of the movement cycle um mm-hmm. the abil- the ability for it to 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 test an individual leg and then compare both sides as far as um dynamic balance control um contact time, your ability to load and explode when you're jumping up and down, um, reactive strength index, uh, your reaction times, both auditory and visual, can all be measured with that device. Um, and then what we didn't talk about was the uh, computerized light system, the, the witty SEMS. And they are uh, a progressive light system, meaning that we can make it progressively more difficult. So unlike other systems where you're just chasing a light and turning it off as quick as you can, we have different mm-hmm. different levels of cognitive difficulty when it comes to speed assessing, testing, or true agility, which is uh, decision-based movement, think and move. So when we use the, the, the light system, um, we have a, a couple different tests that we can determine what the person's speed of processing is. So that comes in handy if there ever is a uh, a brain injury of any description because speed of processing is almost always compromised to a certain degree with a brain injury. So we have mm-hmm. the more uh, samplings we have, we have a better understanding of generally what speed does this human being operate at and now there's a marked departure from that norm so we know we need to um, increase the, the speed of cognitive processing. Right. So that seems a little far away from, you know, manual manual treatment, but the brain drives the body, and how fast we process information is extremely important in the world of athletics. So we work in the world of athletics. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to um, assume that. You know, some of us work with uh, athletes that need to move their bodies, and they need to move their bodies in many different directions. So one of our treatment goals is, depending on the sport, um, is to be able and agile in all directions. So mm-hmm. we have to have the physical ability to, to move in those directions. So are the joints mobile enough and is the soft tissue that crosses those joints mobile enough to produce those movements that we need? Right. Great. That's fine. But do we get the message to move those muscles in an appropriate amount of time? So what we do is we look at speed of processing um, to help us understand that. And if our numbers are poor, we use the same light system to uh, improve our numbers. And it's okay. programmed by, um, it's powered by something called Brain HQ, which is developed by uh, Dr. Mike Merzlinich, who's the father of neuroplasticity. He's also the co-inventor of the cochlear implant. And all of his work is peer-reviewed. He's got over 155 peer-reviewed studies that show that his cognitive training exercises or tests are proven to do exactly what they say. So in this case, speed of processing, yes, according to the the data and certainly in my clinical experience, we can um, increase how fast people process information. Mm -hmm. So myself, for example, uh, when I first did the test, um, I failed miserably. Everybody got a good chuckle out of it and it was terribly embarrassing because it was in the room full of sport chiropractors and you know, everybody had a good a good laugh at how right. poor I did on the test. And then Are you able came... to describe what the test looks like, Scott, before um, before you continue? Yeah. So, I imagine a four by eight sheet of plywood on the wall, and around the perimeter we have six lights: three on the top, mm-hmm. three in the bottom, and then we have two in the very center. And this particular test is called double decision. So we're tasked with making two decisions in a very short period of time. And so what will happen is when the the test first starts, the information, the images on the lights are shown to us for a thousand milliseconds. 
So that's mm-hmm. one full second, right? Okay. So yep. in the center is an image of a car and a truck in a dot matrix uh-huh. pa- in a dot matrix pattern. So either a car or a truck will be exposed in the two lights in the center, and then okay. one and then one of the peripherals will also light at the same time. They okay. then turn they then turn off, and you have to identify was it a car or a truck, and which one of the peripherals went off. Okay. Okay. And do you is it this a verb is it verbal you're telling them or are you actually touching nope. the light? Yeah, you have to go so they'll expose themselves for one full second when the test starts. They turn off and then you have to go and swipe the lights which first car or truck and then which one okay. of the per, which one of the peripherals. So okay. if you if you get it correct, the next time the lights are exposed, it's exposed for slightly less than one second. You get it correct again, it's exposed for less time. So the amount of exposure time increasingly goes down as long as you get get them correct. If you get it, it, if it's incorrect, it takes you back to the prior speed that you did get correct. So you're always at a working level that you can work with. Okay. So these things can go to uh, 32 milliseconds. So to give you an idea of what that would be, a snap of the fingers is 250 milliseconds. So a quarter second is a snap of the fingers. So this is a fraction of that where that information is exposed to you. It turns off and either you understand or you don't. (laughs) Either you saw a car or truck and which one of the peripherals or you didn't. It's too fast for you. So the cool thing is, is um, yes, that it can accurately um, determine what your speed of processing is, but um, the fact that you can, with more practice, you can improve on that. So, mm-hmm. so my scores went from about three seconds, three thousand milliseconds, and I just did it wow. last. Just did it last week with a young kid, and uh, um, I was down to 45 milliseconds. Okay. So, you know, I'm in my 50s, so you would think, you know, an older goat like me might be a little challenging to uh, regenerate the brain, but it's it's really like any other... uh, It's like a muscle in the sense that, you know... You start at curling 10 pounds, and if you keep at it in a couple months' time, you're curling 15 to 20 pounds. There's improvement there. Right. And that's what uh, Dr. Merzenich's studies have shown, that yes, in fact, um, that it is correct. We are improving our speed of cognitive processing. So that matters depending certainly on what sport. If you want to hit a baseball and you want to be successful at baseball and make yourself – a professional baseball player, um, the numbers are, uh, go like this. Uh, to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, you have to be processing at a minimum of 155 milliseconds. If you're okay. processing slower than that, if you're processing at 175 milliseconds, that ball is going to be in the pitcher's glove before you even processed what the heck just happened there. <laughs> right. So, you know, the batters in in the pros, they're watching the stitches of that ball as they come off the pitcher's fingers. And Mm -hmm. as soon as that ball comes off the pitcher's fingers, they go through a decision-making process as to whether or not they're going to swing at it and how are they going to swing. Is it high? Is it going to be low in the the strike box? So Mm -hmm. they have to determine that information before they their brain tells their body to, to go ahead and swing. So that process right. takes time. And the faster that that happens, the more time you have to decide whether to swing that ball, or swing the bat, sorry. Right, So yep. it's, it's the same as, uh, you know, hockey's popular right now just because of the time of year, and they're mm-hmm. bringing up guys from the, uh, the minor leagues. So... You can have a, a superstar in the AHL, 
that every time they bring them up to the NHL, they fall flat. They're they're not keeping up, and it's always the same comment: is that the game happens just that much faster at the professional level, and so right. <clears throat> those people inherently aren't as fast at processing information as the pros. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, uh, an application right there is for somebody who's just on the cusp of, of making the NHL is I def- if I had one come through the door, we'd definitely be work testing speed of cognitive processing and true agility. So with the speed of processing, it's not about how quickly you turn that light out. It's about getting the information correct. Okay. True agility, decision-based movement, is about how quickly you turn that light off. So okay. I can put four lights on, a, on tripods, and if I, if I spread them out in, a, in an even line about 16 feet from the one tripod to the, to the other tripod, and I'm having you change a green light. That's a very simple. There's not a lot of decision making going on there. You see a green light and you run over to that tripod and you swipe the light and you turn it off. And then you get mm-hmm. back to your start position and then you go to the next light that goes off. So real simple stuff. Yep. So we make it more difficult when we add cognitive load. We have we we want to make you think more and when we make you think more does it slow down your ability to think and move so a level two Mm -hmm. would be find the green light among different color lights so instead of one light going off that's green all the lights turn on now they're different colors find the green one okay not so bad we're only dealing with four lights in a situation like that but Mm -hmm. when when we get into a level three we're looking for a green number three among different colors and characters. So now the okay. now we got to look more so for that green three, and it takes time mm-hmm. to do that. So mm-hmm. a level four would be chase the green number three among different green shapes and characters. So we okay. disguise it's more difficult to find when everything is green, and it might be a, a green B, it might be a green E, that you confuse with a green three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how quickly you can find that information and move your body is all timed to the millisecond. So the the myth about agility, if you go onto YouTube, thousands and thousands of videos of uh, trainers putting their their uh, clients through a series of ladders or or pylons. <clears throat> and they're ripping around the pylons and and going in and out of the ladders, and there's no decisions made there. That is not a mm-hmm. that's not a true game scenario where you you have to make a decision based on somebody's movement in front of you, for example. So that right. that is foot speed and change of direction. So decision based movement is moving your body based on on a, on a decision you have to make. So if somebody's coming down the ice and they deke you out, that's true agility. They're, they're moving their body in um, response to your body's movement. So if, if right. they fake you to the left and they go to the right, they, they do that based on what they see you do. If you don't go to the, mm-hmm. go to the left when they deke you, then they got to change their mind and do something different. That all takes... Yep time, moments in time, um, to process those information. So again, we can, we can test on very simple parameters. We can dust, test on uh, more difficult uh, thinking measures. And hopefully the amount of time doesn't increase with the more difficulty we throw at you. So right. it's, it's the same as the, the speed of processing. When we, when we take our basic test, we go, okay, this is what your what your number is. There's no added stimulus to the nervous system. There's no extra load to to uh, brain function because all we're doing is focusing on one thing at a time. 
So the one test is called Hawkeye, and it's a, a dot matrix of, of an airplane, and there's four different colors on it. Only one of the airplanes have a red nose. So it's just a couple dots on a, on a small light. The one airplane's got red dots on its nose. So we start with four, and they're spaced a certain distance apart, and you stand a certain distance back, and you perform the test. Okay, same thing, light turns on for a, a, a second, turns off, you identify it, great. So let's say we get you down to 32 milliseconds, and okay, so does that mean I'm as fast as I can be? No, it just means that now we're going to make it more difficult. So then we would put somebody on a, um, on a BOSU ball, especially if they're sport, if they're okay. sport required balance. So okay. like the uh, Olympic snowboarder that I worked with, first we did it with her standing. She achieved competent numbers. Then we asked her, her brain to pay attention to more things. So now the brain has to worry about balance and processing information at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does it slow her down? So as soon as we asked her to balance, it slowed her numbers down. Right. About about 100 right. milliseconds. So we got to train it to be faster and faster. So we go through that drill, that exercise, a number of times until she, she achieves uh, uh, 32 milliseconds again. So when you're keeping her on the BOSU for that for that particular piece to improve. Yeah. So we uh, we're just results, doing right? rep yeah. after rep of of series of 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 her going through that same task while she's balancing. So okay, mm-hmm. now we we. Uh, we achieve our numbers there. So then we're going to put on her snowboard. So she's going to be in full gear st- with her snowboard, standing on a BOSU ball that's upside down. So right. now she's in in the position. She's worried about balancing and processing information. Well, that's kind of her job when she's going down a hill is she's got to process information very quickly because she's going down a hill real quick mm-hmm. and she's got to be good at balancing. So when when she's in in the air, balance not so much of an issue. But as soon as the board contacts the ground, balance is an issue. So yeah. we we can use these lights to not only be sports specific but position specific. So for example, uh, I'm working with a young uh, hockey player, and we put him on the same test. It's it's called Hawkeye with the red nose airplane. And, yep, he achieved, we got him down to 32 milliseconds. And then, okay, now we're going to make it more difficult. We put him on the BOSU ball. And then um, he achieved 32 milliseconds by, you know, balancing and processing information. And then we asked him to um, bring in his hockey stick and a ball. And so now we're going to stick handle, balance, Mm -hmm and process information. Okay, so right. when he's stick handling, he can't swipe the light. So I'm the proxy for that. So again, with the speed of yeah. processing, it's about getting the information correct, not how fast you get right. there. So I do the swiping. He okay. tells me which, which light to, uh, to turn off. And then when he's, when he's good at that, then we add some noxious stimulus in, right? Because in yeah. the you know in the brain when he's playing hockey there's all kinds of information that he has to deal with it could be somebody ringing a cowbell up in the up in the corner and you know it irritates him or somebody screaming profanities in the crowd and it, lights flashing and advertisements on the board there's all kinds of information that brain's taking sure. in so yeah with him we i said well what kind of music do you t- detest the most and he goes, country music. I said, good, we're going to put, put country music on. We're going to have you stick handle. We're going to have you balance. And then we're going to get you to do the test. So we can always make it right. more difficult and challenge his, his um, cognitive abilities even more. Amazing. Can I ask yeah. a question? So I imagine there's a lot of fatigue that's going to happen, just general brain fatigue that's going to happen how 
how is there a certain time limit to these tests before you know oh they that if they're not improving it might not be it just might be complete exhaustion uh do you have is there a set time for it and and days apart or or anything like that i I train I train that stuff for an hour at a time, and I try I try okay. to train at this book them in at the same time every time I work with them. So if it happens to be a Saturday okay. morning, it's going to be at the same time. I ask them to eat generally the same type of breakfast from a blood sugar standpoint because blood sugar or lack thereof can affect how fast we process information. So I try and keep right. those controls as tight as I can and yes we can we can we, we can see where we're making progress and then all of a sudden their numbers start to drop this numbers start to drop if they have a headache if they're if they're tired yeah. those types of things do play into the mix now we're we're taking we're, we're uh, charting all the all their their numbers their their scores and there is going mm-hmm. to be some fluctuation in scores. There's no question about it. I mean, if you have a poor sleep, you're not going right. to process information as quickly. But we, right. we will a range from, so, you know, athlete A or person A is processing anywhere from 126 milliseconds to 308, for example. And anywhere in between, whether they have a headache, whether they had a poor sleep, it's it's within this range. If you were if they were concussed, mm-hmm. and there's a marked departure from that norm, meaning up you know, fifteen hundred milliseconds, two thousand, three thousand, that's an issue. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to see those little bit of variations in in the day to day training because it gives me uh, a more accurate range as to where that person lives as far as their speed of processing goes. And But from an injury right. standpoint, it's the marked departures from the norm is what what I'm looking for. Okay. Okay. And, I mean, cognitive um, reaction time is, is, as you said, it's going to depend. Like, in the real world, it'll depend on how much sleep you got, what you ate, whether you, you know, had a fight with your spouse. Those types of things can, can all, all affect Absolutely. it as well. So even in a, prof- a professional setting, I mean, these, this is a good way to, to train that, that muscle, as you described. But those other factors can, can come into play. Uh, as well, but you'd be that much stronger just for having gone through this training. Well, for sure. So when it comes to the speed of processing, because the, we have those variables or, or those uh, aspects that can affect how, how uh, f- fast we process information, the goal is to have as much speed of processing in the back as possible, per se, because we have those mm-hmm. uh, potential um, drawbacks that can can slow us down then we want to be processing as quick as we we possibly can because if you had a poor sleep or you got fight with your mom or your spouse or you know whatever the case may be and we know that it slows you down around 100 milliseconds okay well that that's fine if you're normally around 32 milliseconds and you lose um you know 100 milliseconds because it's not your day or something's going on you know, that puts you up to 132 mm-hmm. milliseconds. Well, if you're that baseball player, you can still hit that 95-mile-an-hour fastball because you can process at 155. Right. But if we're starting at yep. 155 and, you know, the batter has a fight with his spouse or mom passed away or whatever the stressor is, uh, that can be the difference as to whether or not they're going to hit the ball or not. So that's why we right. want as much in the bank okay. as as possible, per se, in that in that regard. Yep. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So um, after agility, I know we don't have a ton of time left for for you because your day's about to to start for yeah. work. Um, anything else you'd like to cover from, from the agility side here and, and cog- cognitive reaction time, um, which has been really fascinating. So thank you so much for, for sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else would you like to, to squeeze in? Well, it's, uh, like I say, it's, it's 
it's integrated itself beautifully into, into into my practice and you know I'm uh, I engage with it every day I'm doing testing every single day and um, you know I'm I'm hoping that you know people will listen to the podcast and and take interest in in uh, measurement and technology because I do think that one that's what the insurance companies are going to demand and um, and two, it, it gives us credibility. Like I, I've been out doing a number of demonstrations and people come up and they assume that I, I'm a doctor and they'll say, hey, doc, uh, and I have to correct them. No, I'm not a doc. Mm-hmm. You, you're using all this yeah. and you're not, a, you're not a doc, right? And so <clears throat> also, too, when I'm, when I'm dealing right. with other uh, clinicians in town, and, you know, I'm educating them on, on what I do because I'm building relationships, the referral relationships. Uh, they're generally quite blown away that, you know, I'm, I'm operating at a, at a level where I'm able to produce reliable, objective data where the vast majority of clinicians are not, right? We've, we've seemed to have right. gotten away from... from uh, Assessments. There's been a lot of evidence saying that our orthopedic assessments are are not accurate at all. Very few of them are, and you know our um, postural screens and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of doubt about that, certainly from a pain standpoint and posture. So, you know, what do we have left? Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, this is this is the way to go. And um, and it uh, you know it gives credibility in 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 the interventions as well. So to, to be able to be taken a little bit more seriously by uh, the medical practitioners because they realize that they don't have the ability to objectively measure something as simple as balance, right? I mean, it's pretty common mm-hmm. that somebody's going to go to a, a physio because they sprained their ankle, but who's objectively measuring it? Right. So... Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. engaging, and it's the same with Shockwave when I adopted that, right? When I was uh, speaking in, uh, with uh, other healthcare practitioners, practitioners that, oh, that's that was developed by orthopedic surgeons. Yeah, it was, right? So it gives mm-hmm. me a, a level of credibility right from the get-go that I didn't have before I had that Shockwave device. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's what my hope is, is that, uh, you know, people could find some kind of interest in it, whether or not they uh, they would invest uh, and pursue the use of technology themselves, or maybe like yourself, having the awareness of somebody that can do such types of things so you can refer out, um, or to just have a right. basic understanding so that you know really what's going on in, in regards to... Um, technology regarding uh, assessing the, the human nervous system. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that as well. And and I'm certainly guilty of, um, of not that I don't embrace, it's just there's, I feel like there's a lot to take in. So, um, but I, I certainly will make a more conscious conscious effort and and um and see what's what's out there well, for sure on what kind of feedback you get if, if you get people that are interested we could potentially do uh a day's introduction to technology i got a clinic big enough here to you know I think... to work with a number of people at a time and if if it wasn't here in barry like literally it takes me 20 minutes to pack up my my lab and and get out on the road but mm-hmm. i'd be more than happy to uh to do some demonstrations for people and answer questions about technology and and like I said I'm I would be doing that out of the uh, the advancement of the profession not because I'm involved monetarily in any way with the the manufacturers of the equipment that I use. Well, I think that that would be an excellent uh, idea and a really really helpful uh, little little workshop as well. So I appreciate you putting, putting that out there. Cause I would definitely be interested in doing that. And I think just as, um, you know, uh, people who are interested in the body as massage therapists, I think that we would have a lot of fun and, and just really enjoy learning, um, about our own bodies. And, and I think it would, it would just be a really fun, 
fun day actually to to see what people uh, how they're moving and then what the what the sh- results show in the in the technology side yeah. of it. I think that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, anytime I have shown it to other professionals, they've they've certainly lit up and engaged in in um, you know the learning about the technology and asking questions and and uh, enjoying the experience for sure. Excellent. All right. Is it all right if I we think close we're good, off yeah. there? All right. Amazing. Thank you again, Scott, for uh, doing a part two. Um, this was also another really um, great episode. I got a lot of great information and I again look forward to re-listening to it. Um, where can people uh, find you in case they missed it on the, the first one? And if you haven't listened to the first episode, then go back and listen to uh, to that one. That would be wonderful. Um, and uh, so, Scott, sorry, where yep, can they so find you? You can uh, find me at Shockwave Therapy Center on Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. and under my name on Instagram, too. Uh, I just have to say I'm not I'm not great at social media, so I have more content on my my Facebook page than I do the the uh, do Instagram. But there there are you know pictures and examples of of the technologies that I'm using there. Okay, wonderful. All right. Well, you have a great day, and it was another uh, was another great episode, and I'm I'm really glad awesome. that we got to that connect was good. again. Appreciate your time and uh, and your interest. That's all from the Radical RMT this week. You can go back to episode 18 for part one of the most technologically advanced RMT in Canada. If you're interested in learning more about the technologies that Scott uses and maybe getting involved in a workshop where he demonstrates them to other RMTs, connect with Scott on Facebook at Shockwave Therapy Centre and on Instagram at shockwave underscore therapy. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review subscribe for future episodes, and share this podcast with another Radical RMT. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day.